How many of you guys watching the Olympics this week? <laughs> I got more no's than yeses. <laughs> Look, I can relate. Um, I, haven't, uh, I have not watched one event uh, of the Olympics yet. I'm not making a statement other than the fact I just haven't, you know, usually I do, and this, this time I haven't. Um, and the, the Olympics is kind of a, a, an interesting thing. It's sport, but it's more individual sport than team sport, right? So we send the, the U.S. sends the Olympic team, but most of the team is actually competing in individual events. So if, if somebody wins or loses, it kind of becomes obvious why they won or they lost. Like you can look at the individual's performance and hopefully for the most part, you know, see what went right and what went wrong. If we play a team sport though, um, I played team sports growing up, uh, not really so much for the individual sports myself, but the team sports I enjoyed. And, uh, and we got the Super Bowl uh, coming on tonight and you've got two, two teams playing. We had a lot of good college football uh, playoffs and bowl games and you have two teams playing and you just, as a sports fan, your hope is that your team shows up. You know what I'm saying? Like, like some, some, some nights, like the offense is clicking and the defense is just a mess. And then other nights, the, the defense is just doing everything right and they can't put two passes together on the offensive side. And, uh, and sometimes you just wish they just would put it all together. And maybe, you know, even, even if your team doesn't win, you can experience some satisfaction when they at least gave a full effort. You know what I'm saying with that? You know, sometimes you just watch and you just think, why'd they even, why'd they even play tonight, right? Uh, but sometimes they'll lose and you just think, man, they, they, they did everything they could. They just weren't the, the best team uh, on, on the court or on the field or in the game that night. So um, team sports, you could say a team is a group of people that come together for a common goal, setting aside their own personal ambitions for the good of the team, working hard to accomplish their goals. Now the scripture would use an illustration of a body when we're talking about the church, but it's a, it's a similar kind of thing. Um, the, the body different individuals, uh, all very unique. We've been talking about this the last few weeks, but we are united in the fact that we are all saved by grace. It's not a work of ourselves, but we've come together because God has saved us and we have some, we have some goals. We have, we're a group of people with common goals. We set aside our own personal ambitions and we work together uh, for some common goals. And so we talked about some of those last week. We talked about being equipped, uh, being prepared, being trained, being ready for the work of the ministry that God has for us. So we're going to continue um, with that this morning, but we're going to get to, we've been talking about, um, I said we will be talking about this the beginning of this year, everyone equipped, everyone engaged. And we've been talking more about being equipped, and this morning we're going to switch over and start to talk about being engaged. And so in other words, we are equipped so that we can engage in the work of the ministry. So we're going to do that by looking at Acts chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to see this, that the church, here's, here's one of the goals of the church, to be a witness for Jesus. 
It's one of the, we come together as a body of Christ, as this local community, and one of our goals is that we will be a witness for Jesus. So we're going to, you can get started towards Acts chapter 1. We're also going to be in Luke 24 this morning. Um, let me pray and we'll, we'll look at it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have. Thank you that uh, you take the, the mess that we call life and you breathe new life into it. And uh, where we've messed things up, you make things new. And uh, where we, where we kind of um, uh, are, are selfish and self-seeking, you teach us how to be selfless and serving. You, uh, you teach us how to serve you instead of serving ourselves. And so as we gather this morning, Lord, I pray that we'll have a better understanding of that and we'll uh, just be encouraged to accomplish the goals that you've put in front of us. One of these to be a witness for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is, uh, we're going we're gonna to be in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So just before we read these verses, um, a couple of things. Acts was written by Luke, the same uh, man who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So um, I don't know about you, but I, well, growing up, I thought that Luke was one of Jesus' disciples. He wasn't. I don't know if that pops anybody's bubble this morning, but uh, I I don't know how old I was before I realized Luke wasn't one of the disciples in the sense he was not one of the 12, uh, but he he spoke to these men who were eyewitness um, uh, participants in what Jesus was doing and Jesus' activity, and he wrote the book of Luke. He also wrote um, the book of Acts, and he was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. So he was with the Apostle Paul in his ministry. He was not uh, necessarily with Jesus in his ministry. Uh, but let me, let me read these first uh, opening verses um, in here, the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, and behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's, uh, let's read together. If, uh, I said we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24. We'll go back and forth a little bit. Luke 24, these are the last few verses of um, Luke's gospel account, the account of Jesus' life, and, and you'll see that there's some similarities. He's talking about the same event here in the opening verses of Acts as he does in the closing verses of Luke. So Luke 24, verses 50 uh, through 53 says this, and he, speaking of Jesus, 
led them out of Jerusalem as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So this is, this, was, this is Luke's description at the end of the book of Luke. The disciples went out with Jesus. Uh, he was lifted up. They, they uh, worshiped him. They w- returned to Jerusalem. They continued to worship uh, God there. So uh, we'll be back and forth uh, a little bit. So in here in this, in this um, moment or this uh, this event that is recorded just briefly in Luke and a little bit more detail here in Acts is when Jesus returns to the Father in heaven after 40 days of ministry after his resurrection. Uh, so if we, it, when we read through the Gospels uh, towards the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read of the crucifixion and then each one chooses to record some of the events of what happened to Jesus and their interactions with him during the 40 days between the resurrection and his ascension. So when he came out of the grave and then the ascension when he went back to heaven. And so uh, this, is, this is what we are looking at this morning. And so Luke is writing uh, in the opening verses of, of uh, the book of Luke, we learn that Luke's writing to Theophilus, uh, who, who most believe would have been a a wealthy Roman citizen. So he was writing to Theophilus, the book of Luke, and now he's writing to Theophilus, this book of Acts. And I think this is really interesting. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. So we just read the, the conclusion of the book of Luke. So Luke wrote his book, he, he was writing to Theophilus, he was telling them all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until he was lifted up. And that's, that, that's what happened there in the last few verses of the book of Luke. So I think that this is important for us, um, first of all, to know that uh, what Jesus did on earth was just the beginning. Now, you will hear people preach when Jesus was on the cross, he was finished his work. So there's two different things happening here. When Jesus went to the cross, he finished the work of redemption. He actually said on the cross, it is finished. The, the sins of man have been paid for. Uh, our redemption was bought on the cross. And yet at the same time, God's work on earth, particularly the birth of the church, hadn't even started yet. And so there was a, a work on, on, on the earth that was just beginning after Jesus' death and resurrection. So uh, Luke says, I, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he's chosen. So we're gonna flip back to Luke chapter 24, uh, and let's look at verses 17 through 21. So this is just kind of the, after Jesus' resurrection, um, he's having some uh, conversations, particularly in this passage, Luke 24, uh, verse say 17 through 21, he's, he's talking to two men as they walk down a road. They're on to the village, they're walking towards the village of Emmaus, and they're having this conversation uh, about what had just happened. And, um, and, and Jesus asked them, what's this conversation you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stood still, they looked sad, and the, the one named Cleopas, Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened? And he said to them, what, what things? And they, they, they said to Jesus, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man who was prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Listen to this. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So they, they say there was this man, he was a prophet, he was mighty in deed, he was mighty in word uh, before God, before the people, but he was condemned to death and crucified and, and they, were, uh, they were kind of distraught because they thought he was the one. Like we thought Jesus was the Messiah. We thought he was the one that was going to redeem our people that would bring us back into, into power and free us from Roman oppression. And, and, and their hopes were crushed when, when Jesus was crucified on the cross. Now, did Jesus not get to do all the things that he wanted to do? Like, was he the one that was supposed to redeem Israel and just didn't get to it? Well, well no. He came, Jesus came and he did the work that he came to do. John 17 verse four says, I glorified you on earth as Jesus spoke to the Father having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus, Jesus did what he came to do. He came to die for your sins. He came to die for my sins. He came to die for the sins of the world. And yet the people thought, man, we thought, we thought he was here to redeem us. They had a different picture of what Jesus or what the Messiah uh, was going to do. Um, so here, in, here we, we read though, uh, that he presented himself, Acts chapter one, verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So um, Jesus continued to walk with these two men. They, he, they, they got to where they were going, they sat down to have a meal, and all of a sudden their eyes were open that this was, this was Jesus and he vanished from their sight. And so these, these two men were excited. They went back to Jerusalem because they wanted to tell the disciples uh, uh, what was happening, that we saw Jesus. And so they were, they were in an upper room and they were telling the disciples, look, we saw Jesus. And all of a sudden Jesus appeared in the room that they were in. So uh, we'll pick up uh, right here in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And so um, in, in Acts, Luke writes that he suffered um, after he, he presented himself alive, after his suffering by many proofs, or some translations say convincing proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days. So here's one of the appearances, and listen to the proofs that he gives them. As they were talking about these things, so the two men were telling the disciples about their interaction with Jesus, uh, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought he was a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? He said, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So the resurrected Jesus was not simply a spirit. He had a physical body. He had them touch his his hands, he had him touch his feet. Um, and so while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So, you know, we talk about, well, what will it be like in heaven and what will our new bodies be like and what will, uh, what will we do and what will, where will we go and how will things be? And we don't, 
not, not answering all those questions this morning, but we can answer a couple things. When Jesus uh, was, was presenting himself to his disciples in his resurrected body, it was a physical body and he ate food. So that's giving us some insight to what our resurrected bodies will look like. So, um, so these are some of the convincing proofs that he gave to them. Uh, but Jesus also was wanting to communicate to them when he presented himself in the upper room. So continuing in verse 44, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So they have these, he had these two guys walking down the road. They're thinking, man, we thought this Messiah, we thought he was the one, but he's not. They killed him and, and it's over. Like we thought he was going to redeem us, but he's dead and, and it's over. So Jesus then catches up with the, again with the disciples he reminds them of everything written in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms, and he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He gave them understanding into who the Messiah was, what the Messiah came to do, and, and, and what was happening at that moment. So, uh, continuing, verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So their understanding was that Jesus had come to, to redeem and to give freedom to the physical nation of Israel, and he is opening their minds that no, the Messiah came to redeem and to forgive the nations of the world of their sins. And, and, and he says some of the same things. Jesus says to them in the upper room, you're my witnesses. I'm gonna send the promise of the Father to you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this is Jesus' conversation in that upper room. And then uh, we already read the conclusion of, of the book of Acts where they went out uh, to, to, uh, towards Bethany and Jesus ascended to the Father. So picking up here in, in the book of Acts, again, there's just a little bit of overlap it's a, Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke in a sense. So verse four, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. We just read where he did that in the book of Acts in the upper room with the disciples and those two guys that Jesus met on the road to Emmaus, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So this was their instructions. Just wait. I'm going to, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. You will have power from on high. Uh, stay in Jerusalem until this happens. So a little bit of overlap. Uh, he's, he's, he's talking about what happened then, but now he's also picking up and saying, this is, what all, this is what happened when they went out. So verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they thought that Jesus had come to restore the, nation, the, the kingdom to Israel when he came. And he said, no, I didn't, that's not what I came for. I came uh, to, 
to, to die on the cross, to provide the forgiveness of sins for all mankind. And, and um, so they're saying to him, okay, we understand that you came for the forgiveness of sins, but now, like we know the Old Testament prophecy, the Messiah will restore the kingdom of Israel. So is that happening now? This is the question for them. It's, it's, a, it's a good question that they ask. Their, their minds are being open to the understanding of, of what the Messiah was gonna do. They didn't realize, uh, they, they knew he would come and, and would redeem them. They didn't realize it was their sins that he would redeem first. And so they're asking this question, is, is this the time? Are you going to do it now? And, and Jesus answers them, and you think it's a yes or no question. Like, is now the time? Yes, now is the time. No, now's not the time. Uh, but, that's, but Jesus answers it a little bit differently. Uh, he says, it is not for you to know the time. Verse seven says, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So effectively, Jesus said, not yet. I'm not gonna tell you when it's gonna happen, but you're asking, is now the time? And Jesus is saying, no, not yet. And then we get to verse uh, eight of Acts, probably one that many of you have memorized. Jesus says, no, I've not come to restore the kingdom of Israel right now, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, many have said this is the outline or the thesis statement for the book of Acts. And certainly as we read through the book of Acts, um, uh, verses one, or excuse me, chapters one through seven deal with the ministry of, of the, the news of the gospel in and around Jerusalem. And then chapters uh, eight through 12 talk about the, the news of the gospel being spread to Judea and Samaria, and then verses 13 through uh, 20, excuse me, verses, chapters, chapters 13 through 28 is when uh, it goes to the uttermost parts of the earth, ending up in Rome, which was essentially the crossroads of the ancient world. So Jesus says to him, no, now's not the time that I'm going to restore the kingdom, uh, but let me tell you, what you will receive, what you will be, and where you will go. So what they, will they receive? They will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, verse eight says. The disciples did not have the Holy Spirit. As, as believers today, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. The Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit gives us everything we need for life and godliness on this earth. The, the, the disciples did not have that though. Uh, we have it now, but they did not have the Holy Spirit. They would receive it on the day of Pentecost, which would be 10 days later. Uh, they would receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. Ephesians 1, uh, 13 and 14 says, in him or in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. So we heard about Jesus we believed in Jesus, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit comes into us, he's the deposit, he's the down payment. Uh, the, what we will receive eventually is life in, in heaven with him forever. But the Holy Spirit is that seal of salvation 
And the Holy Spirit is what defines us as a Christian. What dif- differentiates a Christian between a, a, a believer versus a non-believer? A believer has the Holy Spirit within them, and a non-believer does not. So we will receive the, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is the same Spirit um, in, in, um, in Romans chapter 8 tells us that the same power that rose Christ out of the grave is the power that we receive at our salvation. So let's read that together. Romans 8 verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We're talking about he turns graves into gardens. He turns dead bodies into living souls. And so he gives life to our mortal bodies through his spirits. So we will, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes, so at our salvation experience, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So one, we'll receive power. Two, what will we be? We will be Jesus' witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You know that you are Jesus' witness today, that I am Jesus' witness today. Whether we are doing a good job of it or a bad job of it, we are Jesus' witnesses If we have believed in him for our salvation, we have received the Holy Spirit, and now we are his witnesses. So a witness literally means, this this word witness literally means one who remembers, or one who has information or knowledge. So we remember what Christ has done for us. Uh, A witness is someone who can give information or bring something to light. So we remember what Christ has done for us, and we are then willing to give that information to those who don't have it. That's our role as, as, a, as a church, as individuals, as individuals, believers in God, but then also as a church is to be witnesses of Jesus. What has Jesus done for you? What has Jesus done for me? What has Jesus done for our church to be a witness of that? Where? For the, for the Jerusalem church, it was in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. For us, it's right here in our community and then extending to the rest of the world. So uh, Luke, Luke tells, or, or excuse me, Jesus tells the disciples what they will receive. They'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit. What they will be, you will be my witness. And where they will go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, or the remote areas of the the earth. Jesus is telling his disciples, look, you're going to be the truth sayers. You're the ones who are going to take a stand. You're the one who are going to tell people the truth about who I am and what I can do for the world. So the, the disciples specifically were to start in Jerusalem, then go to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and then extend to uh, the rest of the world. And when we read the book of Acts, that's exactly, exactly what we see uh, them doing. And that's what we're doing still. Uh, I'm looking forward to the missions uh, conference coming up 
in, uh, in March. We got the dates behind me, don't we? 18th, 19th, and 20th. I've talked to you guys about it. If you've never been before, you want to come, not just Sunday morning. You want to come Saturday night. You want to come Friday night and just uh, rub shoulders with our missionaries and, and learn and see how the good news of the gospel is still working its way to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's still people on this earth that have never heard the name of Jesus. There are still people on this earth who have never touched or seen a, a Bible before, have never heard the words of Scripture in their language. And so this, this, um, this, this instruction that Jesus gives his disciples, you're going to receive power, you're going to be my witness, and you're going to take this witness all around the world is still happening today. The job is not yet done. So, okay, why is, why is Jesus telling his disciples this? He's telling it to them because he's about ready to leave. He's about ready to go back to the Father. Verse 9 says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So he started to be lifted up. And, uh, and then he disappeared into a cloud. And so as they were, I'm sure, just kind of, you know, staring up into the clouds, wondering, like, is he coming back? Where did he go? Is the cloud going to part? Will we get another glimpse of him? These two men uh, show up and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so, uh, you know, we talked just a minute ago, our res- we, we wonder what will it be like uh, when, when we get our resurrected bodies. Well, Jesus in his resurrected body was a real physical body and he ate food. What will it be like when Jesus comes back? Well, these angels told the, the uh, disciples, uh, Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go up into heaven. Revelations 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I wanted to read just a, a little excerpt here. This is a book by uh, Mark Yarborough. He's the president of Dallas uh, Theological Seminary. He's given kind of a summary of, of, these, uh, of these end times. This is what he says. Jesus Christ will return visibly to planet Earth in the same manner in which he left. While the first advent occurred in prophesied obscurity, the second advent will not. So in other words, uh, he's, he's acknowledging that these disciples didn't quite understand Jesus' first arrival on Earth. They thought he was coming to redeem the, the physical nation of Israel then and now. Um, And so he's saying it was kind of obscure. They didn't quite get it. The second advent will not be like that. Jesus will reclaim those who are his through a great resurrection, reuniting soul and body. His kingdom will be established. He will judge the dead. Eternity will consist of a new heaven and new earth where there will be no more sin. The curse will be removed. All will be made right in God's perfect kingdom. All right, so here's our response to that. Believers should live in eager expectation and anticipation of his return. Jesus will physically return to planet earth and establish a kingdom which will never end. So the disciples were not wrong to say, 
Are you now coming to restore the kingdom to Israel? The culmination of this process is seen in totality in a new heaven and earth where the curse will end and sin will be no will be no more. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. Christ will be made king of kings and lord of lords and all things will be under his dominion. Then Christ will hand the kingdom over to God the Father and God will be all and in all. What a day that will be. So a couple of a couple of takeaways from from this passage this morning as I think about being engaged. Everyone equipped? Everyone engaged. Jesus is coming back. Are you excited about that? Um, I'm, I'm excited about that. And, and, and we should be excited about that. And at the same time, uh, I'll just tell you about me, and, I, and maybe the Lord, I don't know if I'm right in this, or if the Lord's working on me in this, or what. I'm a little concerned that he's coming back. Because we, we might be excited that he's coming back, but the excitement for us will be wrath and judgment for those who don't believe. So Jesus is coming back. We anticipate that return. We anticipate the new heaven. We anticipate the new earth. We anticipate our new bodies. We anticipate uh, celebrating and worshiping him and glorifying him and, and, and all that that entails. We're excited for that, but not everybody's ready for that. And so the second takeaway this morning is that we've got a job to do. We're to be his witnesses. It starts right here in, in, in Blairsville. Robin, you can kick me later if you want, but Robin told a story on uh, Wednesday night a, a month or so ago. She cuts hair, was cutting hair for a 90-something-year-old client, and uh, getting older and, and, and physical limitations increasing. And I'll probably botch the whole thing up, but Robin will tell you it right afterwards if you ask her. But he just alluded to the fact that he's just not sure if he knew what was coming next or if he was ready for what was coming next. And Robin said to him, well, I can tell you how you could know if you're ready or not. And she shared the gospel with him. I think you said 96, Robin? 97. 97 years old of rejecting Jesus, of putting it off, of saying that's not for me, and he said, I believe. And he's, he's ready now. He's one of the ones that are ready. So, you know, we live in the Bible Belt. We have 96-year-old men and women in, in our county that don't know Jesus. And we can be Christ's witness. You, you might not have a 96-year-old man that you cut hair for. But you have people that God's put in your life. I have people that God's put in my life that don't know him and need to hear this good news that we have. We need to be a witness. We need to remember what Jesus did for us and testify to the truth of that. We start right here in Blairsville. We work in our surrounding communities. We work with other churches to accomplish things that we can't do by ourselves. And then we are working with missionaries who are all over the world reaching the uttermost ends of the earth. We are to be his witnesses. Second Corinthians chapter five says that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. 
That's a big task. It's, it's doable because the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us power to be that witness and to take that good news to those who need to hear it. So Jesus is coming back. I'll celebrate with you about that. But let's roll up our sleeves because we got a job to do too. Because there are many who are not anticipating his return with, with the same joy that we are. And with the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can reach people around us. And by extension, with our missionaries, we can reach people to the uttermost ends of the earth. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for coming to this earth. Uh, those that you, that you came to didn't understand completely uh, why you were here and, uh, and what you were coming to do. Uh, but you came, your word says... Uh, so that the forgiveness of sins could be preached to the entire world. Uh, you came because you, um, you were the, the perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice that would end all sacrifices, the, the, the sacrifice that paid for the sins uh, of, the, of the whole world for all time. And Lord, uh, you know each and every heart in here. You know the ones that are anticipating your return. You know the ones that have never put their faith and trust in you. And I would just say to anyone here this morning, if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never uh, just acknowledged that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior, you could do that this morning. You could come to the, to the front afterwards and just our, some of our elders will be up front and just say, man, I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. You could do it right now as you sit in your seat. Say, Jesus, I, I know that I've sinned, and I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You need to just stay in the grave. You were resurrected, and by the power that resurrected you is the same power that could change me, that could save me. And you just put your faith and your trust in Jesus. And then I think maybe for the majority in here who have done that already, man, we've, we've got a job to do. And so, God, I ask that you would uh, be at work in our hearts. For those of us who have accepted this good news, that you would just really impress on us this morning that uh, we have received the power of the Holy Spirit at salvation. And with that power, now you are calling us to be your witness. And, and you're not calling us, you're not calling us to, to do... Um, a great and extra extraordinary thing. Some of us, maybe, yes. You're not calling us to, to, to sell our car and, and move to another country, although you've called some of us to do that. But you're calling every single one of us, for sure, guaranteed to be a witness right where we're at. And then, and then, and then uh, when we've been a witness where we're at, then to extend the circle of where we're making your name known. And so, God, I pray that you would be working in our hearts this morning that you'd be bringing to mind people that we know that we could be a witness to. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would open our eyes to what's going on around us. Your word tells us that you are constantly at work. So open our eyes to see where you're at work and give us the, the voice to, to speak the truth about who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, stir us to action this week. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation, but boy, you've got a job for us to do once you've given us that free gift of salvation. I pray that we would be excited to do it. I pray this in Jesus' name.